This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. All right, how is everybody today? Blessed, amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord on a Sunday morning, isn't it? All right. Thank you for your thunderous enthusiasm there. Well, well, I'm glad to be at church. I think it's a great day to be at church. I think any day is a great day to be at church, though. I love church. I love my family here. You all are my family. And and uh, we just we're grateful to have everybody. Uh, what we are doing in the new year, uh, the theme that the Lord's directed us to is a theme of prayer. That's the direction that God's heading us to. And, uh, you know, if we were here last week, we, we kind of talked about how most Christians agree that prayer is super important. They just don't act like it. And they don't really, we don't have a whole lot of people that are genuinely uh, people of prayer. And I, you know, again, I, we, we can just review a little bit, but I know that if I were to go to any church in America and say, hey, who thinks that prayer is very essential? I'd get 100% of people to raise their hands. Then if I said, who's going to come to prayer meeting tonight? About three people would raise their hand. Even though they all agree it's super important, right? And then I gave the demonstration that uh, several years ago we had a major Christian band come through town and they said, hey, we need a place to play. And so with three days notice, only three days notice advertising a concert, I was able to get 2000 people to come to church for one night only 2000 people for music. But I but at the same time, we've advertised prayer meetings for months in advance at a time and had, you know, maybe a dozen people show up, even though. Christians all over the world say prayer is pivotal. Prayer is key to being a Christian. They just don't really act like it. And I'm not making fun because we've all been in that spot. And then I asked you to rate your prayer life. Would you say on a scale of one to ten, what would you say you are? And then here was was my favorite part of last week's sermon. I said, do you only pray about three minutes a day? And some of that includes prayer for your food. And your faces were absolutely fantastic. I love that your faces were hilarious because so many of you went, I saw it. it was, I wish you could have been up here seeing it. It was, it was, it was a moment I'll remember for the rest of my life. But, uh, but at the same time, we're not making fun because I know the Lord's speaking to me saying, you need to get more serious about prayer. You need to get more serious about prayer because we're out here expecting God to move mountains, but we don't ever spend any time with him. We're expecting him to dump fresh revelation from heaven down into our lives. But you never talk to him. You never listen to him. And yet you're expecting to hear some earth shattering revelation to come into your life. It doesn't work that way. You got to spend time with him if you want to get to know his voice. You get to know somebody's voice by spending time with them. You know, my Katie and her sister sound exactly alike on the phone. When we were first dating, I couldn't tell the difference between them at all. I mean, they could have tricked me super bad. Thank God they didn't. But, but I mean, they sounded just alike on the phone. But as I've gotten to spend time with her, I can tell the difference between her and her sister in one second because I know her voice. We've spent so much time together. And there's a lot of people, I just wish I heard from God. I wish I could hear his voice. You don't ever spend any time with him, so don't expect to. Don't expect that you're going to get all this fresh manna from heaven if you never give God the time of day, unless you're in a catastrophe, unless your whole world is falling apart, and then you finally turn to him as a last-ditch effort. That's what you, you should. If it's falling apart, go to God. But it's really great when you've already been with God the whole time, and you're not screaming in desperation, bail me out of this one, just give me a favor this one time, and I promise I'll serve you. Don't Don't have to be in that situation. 
God's got a better plan for you. And so we're going to get into this in just a second here. But these just came in this week. We ordered these. These are a fantastic book on prayer called Processing the Plan of God Through Prayer. It's from a pastor there in Tulsa, uh, Pastor Mark Brzee. And it's hard to get a copy of these because I uh, I don't think they still publish them. So we're able to get some directly from his ministry. But it's hard to get your hands on some of these. So we have these starting today in the bookstore. And I think they're like, they're $15. It's a great book. And it'll explain a lot of what we're talking about over the next season as we study prayer. And so I want to go ahead and open us up in a word of prayer because prayer is it's good. And we're going to get into the message, right? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, so much, as we always do, that we have a church to worship you in, Lord, that, that we have a family to surround ourselves with, Lord. Our brothers, our sisters are sitting beside us today as we study the word of God together. And Lord, I pray as, as we're unified in our love for you, that you will come in here and speak to each person. You know what each one of us is facing. You know what each one of us is going through in our lives right now. And I pray that you will speak to us the word that we need this very day. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, everybody. Everybody said, amen. And so the title this week is legit prayer part two, legit prayer part two. And as we said last week, so that means some prayers are legitimate. Well, I'm not, I'm not going there. I'm not trying to throw that out there at you, but I do know this much. A lot of the time we can, and we, we said this, that we kind of treat prayer almost like it's a wish. It's not a super legit prayer like you. You're in a bad. Well, I just I wish God would do something to change this situation. Dear God, dear God, bail me out of this one. And that's not the effectual fervent prayer. I mean, I mean, I'm sure throw that out there. But at the same time, that's more of a wish. A lot of people kind of use the name of Jesus like it's a good luck charm. You notice that like Jesus, 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 and it's like, okay, all right. We should be spending time with him. We should be people of prayer, not just when you're when you really need him. You throw his name out there. We should be spending time as people of prayer. And the first thing that I want to say today is this. Number one, legit prayer is full of joy. When you legitimately come into being a person of prayer, when you legitimately learn how amazing prayer is. Listen, it's not a burden. It's not a, a, you know, oh, well, we got to. Got to pay the piper. It's time to time to go pray. It's time to go do our thing. You know, I I promised him five minutes this week, so I'm going to go do it. It's not like that when you legitimately learn about prayer. And so, number one, legit prayer is full of joy. If you didn't get an outline, the ushers will get you one right now. But legit prayer is full of joy. And I want to look over at Isaiah chapter 56, verse seven, Isaiah 56, verse seven. This is the theme verse for 2018 of our church is Isaiah 56, seven. So you need to get very familiar with this verse. Isaiah chapter 56 and verse seven. Let's read this here in the King James. It says this, even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. That sounds pretty awesome, doesn't it? Who wants to be joyful in the house of prayer? I'd rather be joyful than depressed and burdened and sad that I'm there. I'm telling you what, God's will is for you to be joyful when it's prayer time. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar, for mine house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Prayer is a joyful thing. And I, I mean, I'll admit most of my most of my adult life until, you know, the last few years where I you know really, really 
started taking God as seriously as I should about six years ago or so. Listen, I didn't want to go to prayer meetings, to be totally honest with you. I, 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 I could pray for a few minutes and, and like that, I, I would hit a wall and then my mind would start thinking about football or something stupid. And I'm like, you know what? I wonder, man, those burritos at Jenny's are the bomb, dude. I could, oh, oh. You know, I'm thinking about stuff, and I'm supposed to be joyful in the house of prayer. I mean, you pretty much had my arm twisted behind my back getting me to go. And it shouldn't be that way. But that's how the majority of Christians are. Because yet again, Sunday night prayer is at 5 to 5.30 tonight, okay? Who had a good time last? I'm having a great time. We have a new format that we're doing on uh, Sunday nights, 5 to 5.30. It's in the, the, the youth building next door. And I'm telling you, I love to see the look on people's faces after they go through a whole... 30 minute, 30 minute prayer meeting. And then it's over with and they're like, wow, that wasn't so bad. I mean, I thought that was going to be torture. Like that, that was, that really wasn't that bad. I think I could do that again. And so we're growing as individuals and learning how to pray, but we're also growing as a church and learning how to pray. Because as we're going to see, prayer is a joyful thing and Effectual fervent prayer has absolutely incredible results. And so prayer should be a time of joy for us. It's not an obligation. It's not paying your deed, you know, paying your God tax this week. It's it's a joyful thing. And it's something that God wants us to do. Now, I've told you this, but for whatever reason, I wake up in a very good mood every morning. I am a morning person. I'm not a night person. At eight o'clock, I'm about to pass out. I can't, I, I shouldn't be behind the wheel. I shouldn't be, you know, it's just, I don't know why I'm not a night person, but I wake up very early and in a fantastic mood. And, you know, Katie and the kids would probably say it's an annoyingly good mood, right? Very annoying. I, I'm very, if you're not a morning person, I'd probably irritate you very badly in the mornings, but I don't know why. I, 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 here, here's why. Here's the reason why. Why you know the Lord gives me the morning times as a, as a special. So the first thing I do, alarm goes off. Man, what's the first thing you do? You turn the alarm off. No, you don't hit this. You turn the alarm off. And then you, I open up my Bible app and I see the verse of the day on my Bible app. Then I, I go and get a cup of coffee. Amen. Yeah. I step on a Lego and I get mad for a few minutes because one of the kids left a Lego. But then I get over that after I pray. And then I, I, I get time with God. And listen to me. After I've had time with God, so I get in, in his word. After I've talked to God, because prayer is talking to God. Man, you can't talk to God and walk away from that in a bad mood. Prayer is a joyful thing. After I talk to God for a few minutes, man, I'm like dancing my way. Wake up, everybody. Like, I, I mean, and that's probably why I annoy them. But when, when you've been with God, you get the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength, Nehemiah 8.10. I mean, if I see someone that's depressed and angry and bitter and mean all the time, I don't, my first thought isn't usually, man, they must have been with God lately. Wow, they've got a terrible attitude. No, I, I think, man, they need to go get with God. They need to talk to God right now because they'd be joyful. They'd be doing a lot better if they'd been spending some time with God. And so when you spend time with God, when you are a person of prayer, you're a joyful person. People of prayer, people that spend time with God, they don't have to pray for God to give them joy. You know, this was coming to me the other day when I was reading about this. I don't pray for God to just rain down joy into my life. I have found that I don't have to pray for that because the more time I spend with him, it just naturally happens. I just get joy. 
In fact, I don't pray for any of the fruit of the Spirit to happen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kind. I don't have to pray for those things because this is a byproduct. It is fruit that you've been with the Spirit. And the more that I'm with God, the more time that I spend in prayer, the more time I spend in the Word, I'm joyful. I am full of peace. I love my neighbor as myself. I'm full of love. I'm patient, self-control, all these good things. I don't have to sit there pleading, God, give me peace. Oh, grant me peace, Jesus. I don't have to do that. Because if you are really spending time with the Lord, if you're a person of prayer, this just happens. It just occurs that you have joy. You have peace. You have love going on in your life. Does that make sense? You don't have to beg for the fruit of the Spirit to somehow manifest. And I know a lot of people that they're lazy Christians. They just want to pray that God will give them love, joy, and peace. But they don't want to spend any time with them. Listen. You don't get, you don't get, the fruit of the Spirit doesn't just manifest into your life because you ask for it one day. You get these blessings from God. You get this fruit of the Spirit to operate in your life by spending time with God. Have you ever seen, uh, you know, a, a, a branch from an apple tree just hanging in midair, growing beautiful, lush apples? I never have, and I grew up with, surrounded by apple trees where I grew up. I never saw that. The reason is, is because for a branch to grow fruit, it's going to be attached to the tree itself, right? And Jesus said, I'm, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can't do anything at all. And there's a whole lot of people wondering why they can't do anything at all, right? Well, they're a branch, sure enough, but they're unattached from the rest of the vine. They're not attached to Jesus, who is the source of life. And a branch is not going to grow fruit if you cut it off from the source of life. It's not going to happen. It needs to be attached right up next to the source of life to grow. And as Christians, you've got to be right up next to Jesus. You've got to be attached to Jesus. If you're going to bear fruit, if you're going to be a productive Christian, you have got to be attached. And you are not going to get there taking the lazy way out, saying, Lord, give me love, joy, peace, and all these things. And then you go out and watch, you know, some murder movie. I know people that do dumb things like this. They literally will watch a horror movie, and then right before bed, I thank you, Lord. I'm going to have peaceful, sweet, loving dreams tonight, Lord. Me rainbows and ponies, just going to be beautiful, Lord. And I pray, Lord, I'm just asking that you grant me thine peace in the name of Jesus. And then you watch someone get murdered on TV and wonder why you don't have the love, joy, peace, and patience of God just booming into your life. Listen to me. It doesn't work that way. You've got to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all the things that you need will be added unto you. But listen to me. When you are a person of prayer, you get these fruit of the spirit operating in your life and you don't get to take shortcuts. The only way to get closer to God is for you to spend time with him. You can't say, well, my brother, he's really close to the Lord, so I'm just going to piggyback on that, and I'll, I'll just say, I'll, I'll rely on his prayers from now on. No, you're an adult, you're a big boy, you're a big girl. You have got to develop a relationship with God on your own. You, can't, you, you don't rely on everybody else's relationship with God. You have got to grow up. And I was blessed this week. Katie and I were invited to Kenneth Copeland's Minister's Conference in Fort Worth, Texas, and, man, I got to spend a week with Kenneth Copeland, Bill Winston, Mark Barclay, Jesse Duplantis, like, I, all these just like the top 
preachers in the world. It was so incredible. But as I'm studying these guys, and they're telling stories of, I mean, blind people getting healed and all this stuff. I mean, all these stories. And, you know, there's a lot of people that said, man, I'd really like for that to happen to me. Man, God just must like them extra. They just really rolled into it. They were, they were just born into the right. No. The reason that these people that I just mentioned are generals in the army of God is because they did it the right way. They spent time with God when other people wanted to go play video games. They spent time with, they got up early when other people wanted to sleep in. They did those things just like an athlete. Sometimes I know people watch the Olympics like, man, they're lucky. Gosh, they're born with all that talent. Now here they are in front of the whole world. Yeah, they're probably born with some sort of talent, but do you realize that that talent all by itself didn't get them to where they are? They got up before everybody else and practiced. They stayed up later than everybody else and practiced on weekends, on days that nobody else wanted to put the time in to get to the top. They put the time in and they spent time with what they wanted to get better at. And so when you look at somebody that's getting amazing results through prayer and somebody that God is using all over the place, don't sit there and think, man, God just likes them extra. They must No, they spend so much time with God, I'll guarantee it, that these things happen in their life and it doesn't shock them anymore. When you spend time with God and he answers a prayer, you're not shocked and floored and about to pass out. Oh my gosh, that actually worked. Wow, I just thrown that out there and something actually happened. I didn't think it would. No, when you are a person of prayer and you spend time with God, he answers your prayers. You're not even shocked or surprised. You're like, thank you, Jesus. I I expected that the whole time. You are so good. I praise you. And that's how it is. But listen to me. You're not going to get there if you don't realize that legit prayer is full of joy. If you still think that prayer time is a drag and that it's boring and that there's a lot of other things that would be more fun to do until you get the revelation that God wants prayer to be a time of joy, you're not going to be a person of prayer. Now, let me show you something here in John chapter 16. John 16. Who wants to look at some words from Jesus right here? All right. John chapter 16. And we're going to look here at verses 23 through 24. John chapter 16. And I mean, Jesus breaks it down. He shows you how to pray right here. John 16, verses 23 through 24. Now, now look what Jesus right here. He says, I am in, oh, excuse me, that's 17. 17 is really good. We read that last week. Verse 23. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth. You will ask the father directly and he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. He tells you how to pray right there. He says, you can go to God the Father directly. Just use my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. Have you ever had a prayer answered? And sure enough, you had abundant joy. I'm telling you, man, I have prayed for something and God came through and wow, abundant joy. But Jesus tells us right here how we are to pray to get this abundant joy. He says, you haven't done this before, but I'm telling you, you have permission to go directly to God the Father and use my name. You can ask and you will receive. The key is using the name of Jesus. And my dad taught me how to pray at a very young age. And he taught me when you pray, you say, Father, in Jesus name. 
I'm coming to you today. And so when I talk to God every day, I come to the Father directly through the name of Jesus. I'm not going in my name. Oh, absolutely. I'm not going to, God, I'm coming to you in my name, Lord. It's me. I'm coming right now. You just live. It's me, David. I want you to, no way, man. I'm not going to God in my name. My name's worth nothing. I, I, but I'm going in the name of Jesus, the name above all names. And so I say, Father, I'll come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. And I want to talk to you right now. And I've got a direct hotline to heaven. I'm on speed dial up there, man. I can get right through to God. And he says, oh, yeah, you do this. You can ask and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. This is how you pray. And that's what part of what we're doing here is we're teaching people how to pray. And you're excited when prayer gets answered. You are full of joy. I was remembering about this time last year. I lost my keys one day. Anybody in here ever lose your keys? That's bad stuff. That's not, you don't want to do that. You know, that's bad. And so I lost my keys and, you know, I wasn't like super scared. I knew they'd show up, but after a couple of days, they hadn't shown up. And so, you know, I'm like, well, this isn't good. So, you know, I pray, I go to God, Father, in Jesus' name, I need those keys. And so I'm driving down the road one day. I had just gone to the Father in Jesus' name just that morning. I'm driving down the road. And I, and cause I had Katie's keys and I'm getting on the interstate there, right? By the best Western, you know, the last exit of the fort. I'm getting on and, and I, I hear this noise. I'm like, what is that? That's that annoying noise. And I'm driving and my keys are right on the hood in front of me. I'm like, I've been driving this car for three days and those keys were not on there. I've been going to Victorville and back twice a day, every day for three days. Where were they? I don't know where they were. All I know is I went to the Father in Jesus' name, and he said, you can ask for anything, and I'll give it to you, and you'll have abundant joy. So, man, I pulled that dude over to the side of the road. I snatched my keys, and I did the Pentecostal dance, man. Woo! Woo! Dude, it's exciting stuff right there. When you get your, and you look like a fool on the side of the freeway when you're doing that. You don't look, you don't look good, especially when you're me. But, uh, but praise God, I'm telling you what, God answers prayer when you go to the Father in the name of Jesus. My dad has this story. He, he had lost his class ring from high school. In fact, I think his high school girlfriend had stolen it. But anyway, so he hadn't had it for years, years and years. And so he married my mom, I think, when he was uh, probably, around, I don't know, upper 20s, Josh, around 30, I guess. Anyway, so it had been like over a decade since he'd had his class ring, 10, 12 years. And one day he's just thinking, Lord, I'd really like to have that back. I mean... I know it's not that big of a deal, but, you know, I, I want my class ring. I, and, and so one day my mom goes and opens up her jewelry box. She's like, what is this? It was my dad's class ring. She didn't even know him in high school. They, and she'd been in that jewelry box a thousand times over those years. And it never, and that ring just appeared there. And so that, you know, that may sound, ooh, you know, weird to you. But hey, you know what? I think you're weird if you think that's weird. Because God answers prayer and we should expect things like this to happen we should expect things like this to happen and so i fully believe that god caused that ring to appear i believe that he brought my keys out in front of me because i was too dense to find them on my own i don't care i you know what they were there and so i'm telling you go to the father in the name of jesus that's how you pray so number two number one legit prayer is full of joy number two it is full of the word. I'm talking about if you want to actually start having some success 
in your prayer life, if you want to start getting somewhere on a consistent basis, not just occasionally catching a little spillover grace, not just occasionally catching a little something, I'm talking about if you want to really, on a regular basis, get results in your life, we're learning how to pray. So you go to the Father in the name of Jesus, and the next thing my dad taught me is you include some scripture in your prayer. You include some scripture in your prayer. And so, you know, here, I'll just give you an example here. Say you're in a financial situation where you need help. So I'm going to go to the Father in Jesus' name, and then I'm going to use a scripture about finances in that prayer. Are you following me? Does that make sense? Okay. And so let's go with Philippians 4.19, financial verse. Let's say, Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you this morning. And your word says in Philippians 4.19 that God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. You can tell right now, Lord, that I am in a bind. I am in a need. And your word said that you'd supply it. So I thank you, Lord, that that is happening. You are supplying the need. And I'm not going to worry about it any longer. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. That would be, you know, a pretty biblical prayer right there. We went to the Father in Jesus' name. We threw scripture in there. And I'm telling you what, this is how Jesus taught us to pray. And you remember last week, we talked about how Jesus' disciples, they came up to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Well, the thing is, is they actually knew how to pray. They just didn't pray like they should. And I, I, that's how I feel so many of us are in 2018. A lot of us, maybe you know exactly what I just said. You know, like, yeah, that's a great way to pray right there. That's a good, that's a good outline for a prayer. But the thing is, is we not only need to learn how to pray, we need to learn to pray. Okay, it's one thing to know how to do something. It's another thing to actually do it. Because there's a lot of people that read about stuff. My favorite is people that are experts on things that they've only read about but never actually done the thing. You know what I mean? So I could read about flying airplanes all day long. Like I could study book upon book, and then I'll ask for volunteers. This is my first flight. I've never actually done it. I've just read about it a lot, so I know how it works. Who wants to fly with me? Dude, I would not get in an airplane with somebody like that. No way. They're crazy. They don't know what, I mean, they've read about it. It's one thing to read about it. It's one thing to talk about it. And it's one thing that, yeah, but I want somebody that's got some results. I want someone that's gone up and down successfully a time or two. You know what I mean? I don't want somebody that just reads about it and says they know how to do it. And that's what I'm talking about in prayer. I want people praying for me that got some results, man. And I mean, I love everyone. I want everyone praying. But at the same time, listen, if you're going to be a person of prayer, you can't just read about it. You've got to be about it. You've got to actually do it. Amen. And so Jesus, he's showing us how to pray right here, and his prayers are full of the word. And I'm telling you, when you use the one-two punch of going to the Father in Jesus' name, and then including a scripture with that prayer, you have got a magnificent force of power upon your hands right there. Amen? Amen. This stuff works. Who believes it works? I believe that prayer works. And I... Going to the Father in Jesus' name. Dylan, stand up. Is Pam in here? Is Miss Pam? Pam and Dylan, stand up. All right, these guys. So, within the last year, the devil brought cancer upon these people. Dylan was at his stage four uh, throat cancer, and Pam over here had lung cancer. I mean, the devil thought he was going to steal their lives out. And so, you know, just like when my dad was diagnosed, I was, I was sitting in the room when the doctor told him all this, and... 
Like, I wasn't afraid at all. In fact, me and my dad basically started laughing. And, you know, I'm not making light of a situation, but we're literally, I've never been less scared in my entire life than I am right now. I've never been less scared. And so with Dylan and Pam, listen, what we did is we anointed them with oil. We prayed over them. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. Your word says that Jesus came to take our sickness, remove our disease, Matthew 8, 17. And by your stripes, 1 Peter 2, 24, they are healed. And guess what? They're still alive. They're both cancer-free right now. Amen? You can be seated. They're both cancer-free right now. And, and we're thankful for any medical, you know, that's awesome. But I give the glory to God personally. And, and I thank God for it. And I'm glad that they're still here. And so why is it that it's this powerful to include Scripture in your prayer? What is so powerful? Well, that's a very broad thing to try to tackle. But what I do want to show you is this, is Hebrews 4.12. Let's look at Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12. And so you have got to get the revelation that the Bible is not just a book. Do you understand that? It's the good book. Well, no, it's more than just the good book. It's more than just a holy book. It's more than just something inspirational to read to your children at bedtime. I'm talking about right here what the Bible really is to us. It is not just a book. Hebrews 4.12 says, uh, it says here, For the word of God is alive. It's powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And so it says right here, the Word of God is alive. A book is not alive. A book is dead. I mean, it's just a book, right? It's just paper and and binding and words on ink. I mean, I've got a lot of great books that I like. I enjoy reading all the time. But those books that I read, they're not alive. None of them are really powerful. I mean, sure, knowledge is power. That's great. But listen to me. The Word of God, this right here, is not just a book. It is alive. It is powerful. And it is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. And you're like, well... I don't know, two-edged sword, what does that mean? At that time, that was about the best weapon you could get. This thing is more powerful than the best rifle that you could purchase today. This is more powerful than the best weapons that are on the market today. The Word of God, it's alive and powerful. And when you use the name of Jesus with the Word of God, man, that's an atomic bomb in the going on. Boom! That's a big deal right there. And no wonder some people just seem to pray for things. And it seems like all the time these people get their prayers. What's going on? Well, first of all, they spend a lot of time with God. So God's, you know, he's very used to conversing with them. But also they're using the name of Jesus. They're using the word of God. And God is coming through and they are having spiritual explosions going on because they're doing this the right way. And so a revelation you also have to get, you don't have to turn there if you write it down, is John 1 verse 1. It tells us that Jesus is the word. Jesus is the Word. And so, listen, when I'm 
speaking scriptures, I'm speaking the word. I'm, I'm speaking Jesus. I, and, and when I spend time with my Bible, I'm spending time with Jesus. Do you get that? That when you wake up, when you make time to read the Bible, you are literally spending time with Jesus himself. That's why this is such an important issue. This is a very important issue. What if you, you know, somebody said, listen, you have an appointment today with the governor or whoever you, you know, someone that's really powerful and important. You have an appointment. You need to be there and, you know, make, make sure you're there. Would you, would you just blow them off? I mean, even if I don't like the guy, which I'm not crazy about him, I wouldn't blow him off. I would still go to the appointment, right? Because it's a very important individual. But think about this. How often do we make no time at all to spend with Jesus? All it is is opening up your Bible and reading it. All it is is just praying and talking to him. That's spending time literally. We're not even this isn't even a stretch. This isn't even, you know, mind blowing revelation here. I'm just saying it's this simple. When you open up your Bible and start reading, Jesus is speaking to you right at that moment. And I can't tell you how many times I've opened up his word and Jesus spoke to me and gave me the answer I needed right at that moment. Well, God never talks to me. Well, you never open up his word. You don't give him a chance. Don't sit there and blame him. Listen to me. Open up his word. Talk to him and he will speak to you. He will speak to you and he will absolutely change your life. And so when you spend time with Jesus, you're spending time with the word. And when you're spending time with the word, you're spending time with Jesus. Always take the word into battle with you. Let that sink in. You see the wheels turn here. Always take the word into battle with you. If you have got a situation, if you are going in prayer for something, take the word with you. Now, listen. You don't have to turn here. You can write it down. Hebrews chapter, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter six tells us the armor of God. You know, it talks about uh, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. It tells us about all the armor of God. But towards the end of there, it says, "And take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God." And so it lists all this armor for doing spiritual warfare with. And all of its defensive stuff. It's about the belt. It's about, you know, the, 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 the chest, the breastplate. It's about the shield and all this stuff. But then the one weapon it lists is the sword of the spirit. And it says that's the word of God. And so we all have equal access to the weapon that we need to absolutely win any battle we come up against. Some people don't know how to use their weapon. Right? I mean, you know, you could give a, you know, a, let's say an M16 rifle to some Marine or whatever. And I mean, he'd know exactly what to do with that. You could give it to, you know, just some other person over here. They've got the exact same access to the weapon. This guy's never been trained. He has no idea what, he doesn't even know how to hold the thing. But this other guy's an expert and just firing off and hitting the target every single time, right? Because not only do they both have the weapon, but this person knows how to use their weapon. And what is dangerous to the devil is a Christian that not only has the sword of the Spirit, but knows how to use their weapon. You are a nightmare to the kingdom of darkness if you know how to use your weapon. And Jesus walked on this earth as a human being, right? He came down here as a human, born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus was here as a human being. And so he had to handle things. He had to fight battles. He had to do all kinds of stuff down here, just like you have to do. And 
again, I'm, I'm giving you lots of references. Just keep writing them down. Matthew 4 talks about the temptation of Jesus, where Jesus went out into the wilderness, out in the desert, for 40 days. And for 40 days, 40 nights, he didn't eat or drink anything at all. And the devil kept coming to him, trying to tempt him with things. You must be hungry by now. See that stone right there? You can turn it to bed if, if you really are the son of God, like you say you are. And so the devil keeps bringing temptation to him, but Jesus keeps answering with Scripture every single time. He says, no, it's written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so this is your example. When you are tempted, when you are troubled, when the devil is coming to you, you pull out the sword. That's what Jesus did. He pulled out the sword and started swinging it with Scripture. It is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He started pulling out Scripture every single time. So Jesus was an absolute expert at using the sword of the Spirit. I mean, he is the Word. So just imagine this, Jesus, the Word, speaking the Word. That is powerful. But let me show you something I just saw the other day. Let's look at uh, Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. And so Jesus not only had the weapon, he was proficient at using the weapon. And I want to show you what Jesus did before entering the greatest battle that anybody has ever entered in into the history of the world. Jesus fought the absolute greatest battle of all time when he died. And for three days, it says he descended. He went into hell and fought the devil. There was some spiritual warfare going on. And he did it for you. He went to hell for you. And so he was down there. And I don't think he was down there trying to negotiate a peaceful contract and trying to work something out. And I mean, Jesus went down there and was doing battle. The time for negotiations, the time for trying to, to make a treaty was over with. He went down there, guns blazing. And let me show you how he left this earth. Mark chapter 15, verse 33. This is Jesus on the cross. It says, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? So I've always read that like, man, what a sad moment. Here we are, Jesus crying out in sadness and sorrow because he's been separated from the Father. I, that, I mean, I've always read it that way. I've always read, my God, why? and I, I'm like, I'm sad as I'm reading this. But if you, your Bible probably has a footnote there that what Jesus was doing, this is a psalm right here. Jesus wasn't just crying out, God, you've forsaken me, you've given me up. Jesus right here was quoting Psalm 22, verse 1. This was something prophesied way back in the day by King David. And what Jesus is doing right before he descends into hell, he wasn't saying, oh, I feel bad for me right now. He was using the sword of the spirit. He was quoting the word of God right before he went to hell. And as I read that, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that is that is powerful. Before Jesus went into battle, he starts speaking the word out of his mouth. And here we are thinking we're going to win spiritual battles and we never speak the word of God. We never use the sword of the spirit and we think that we're going to go do spiritual warfare. It's hilarious. I have people come to me. All, I mean, and I don't mean to sound mean, 
But it's sad that people, people talk to me, all, man, this guy over here, he's a warrior. He knows how to do spiritual war, combat. Man, he's a prayer warrior. And yet the person never goes to church. I don't think you're much of a warrior in the spirit world if you never show up for training. Does that mean? Sure, maybe it is, but I don't really care. I need people that are willing to man up and take their position in the kingdom of God and say, it's 2018. This world is dying and going to hell. People are dying of sicknesses, of, 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 of wars and famines and racism and all this stuff. And here you are. You, you want to do spiritual warfare, but you don't have the time to open your Bible or go to church. And you expect us to believe that you're some sort of combat hero in the spirit. No, please keep that to yourself. I don't need any of that. I need people that are disciplined and love the Lord enough to spend time with him to actually pray more than two minutes a day. And most of that is spent up on themselves and their food. And I'm talking about people that are willing to actually show up to God's house and learn about him and fellowship with the brothers and sisters and let them build you up. This is all biblical. None of this is bondage or being mean. Those are the type of people that God's going to use in 2018. Not somebody that claims to be a spiritual hero warrior, but never even makes time to study God or his word or go to his house. Thank you very much. Can I get a witness on that one? So let me show you one more. Luke chapter 23. This is right before Jesus. Again, this is Jesus on the cross. Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Because, as you know, out of the four Gospels, each guy hits each story from a different angle. Each one of them covers some things that the other guy didn't get. So same story, exact same thing. But here's... What Luke was able to record. Luke chapter 23, verses 44 through 46. So he's on the cross right now, dying in absolute agony and pain. It says, he, Luke 23, verse 44. Here we go. By this time it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. And so can you imagine it's about noon? Jesus is on the cross, and all of a sudden it's pitch black darkness. It's just like midnight. Something strange is going on here. And so we all know, I mean, the earth is getting ready to shake. The son of God is getting ready to die. And this is a serious thing. And so it's noon and midnight darkness covers the place. The light from the sun was gone. And suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. And I'm not talking about drapes on your kitchen window. This was a thick curtain. And Lemuel probably knows all about this. But this is a thick curtain that I forget how how tall it was but it was super super tall and at this moment that it goes dark and the and the temple the curtain was ripped in half and Jesus is getting ready to die this is a powerful moment that we're witnessing right here and then he shouted father I entrust my spirit into your hands and with those words he breathed his last again I've read this and I'm like here's Jesus at the last minute, crying out to the Father because he's finally reached the end. And this is, but do you realize that right here again, Jesus is quoting scripture? He's quoting Psalms yet again. Right here, Jesus is quoting Psalm 31, verse 5. It says, I entrust my spirit 
into your hand. Rescue me, Lord, for you're a faithful God. And so at this moment, right before Jesus leaves this earth, he goes out with scripture on his lips right before he goes into hell for three days to do the most epic battle of all time. Are, does that, does, is that making sense to you? And so how do you use your weapon? You've got to learn how to use your weapon if you're going to get anything done. You use your weapon by getting a hold of the word of God. You read it and you speak it out of your mouth. The word of God has got to come out of your mouth. Speak the word. You remember that uh, in Matthew 8, there's this centurion. It means he was a Roman soldier. He was, he was an officer in charge of a hundred other guys. And he comes up to Jesus and says, my servant is at home paralyzed and, and he's sick and he's dying and he can't get up. And Jesus says, okay, I'll come heal him. And he says, no, I'm not worthy to have you come into my house. Jesus, just speak the word from right here. And I believe that my servant will be healed. And Jesus says, all right. Jesus speaks the word. And when the guy gets home, his servant is totally 100% healed. Why is that? Speaking the word of God. You've got to learn to speak the word of, even if you get one scripture down and you just speak that out every single day, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Do you realize how much power you have going through you at that moment? The same power that raised Jesus from the grave is on the inside of you. And when a Christian speaks the word of God, stuff happens. Stuff happens. And so we're teaching you here how to pray. Legit prayer is full of joy. And legit prayer is full of the word. The third thing we're going to say today is this. Legit prayer gets incredible results. Who likes to get results when you pray? That's the best, man. When you pray and it happens and you get results, that's the best thing in the world. And the Bible tells us how we can do that. There's so many scriptures that guarantee answers. And it's hard for us in our minds. We can't comprehend that because we've prayed for things that haven't happened before, right? Have you prayed for something that didn't happen? I have. Sure, I'm not afraid to admit it. I have prayed before and things didn't happen. But what I have determined as I study each of these situations is that the trouble was never on God's end of the deal. It was always me that screwed something up. Maybe I was holding on to bitterness against somebody. Maybe I was in unforgiveness, yet I was asking God to bless me and meet my needs. Well, it doesn't work that way. Faith works by love, Galatians 5, 6. And so if I'm going to be mean and nasty to people and then ask God to answer my prayers, are you kidding me? You're not getting prayers answered if you're mean and nasty and rude. Not happening because your faith won't work. Faith works by love. And so if you're praying for stuff and it's not happening, I would start examining my own life, not saying, God, where did you go wrong? You really screwed this one up. I was counting on you. Now I look like a fool. Prayed in front of everybody. Nothing happened. Listen. It's not his fault, and the problem is never on his end. At least in my life, every single time, the problem has always been on my end. I, I fouled it up somewhere along the way. And so I'm just saying, if, if something hasn't happened yet, examine your life. Quit examining God and looking for where he went wrong because he didn't. you got to look at you. And so James chapter 5, verse 16, let's check this out. James 5. Verse 16. Are we learning anything today? We're not boring you too much, are we? We're going to, I mean, by the time we get this down and we actually get several hundred people to be people of prayer, people that are joyful in God's house of prayer, 
Can you imagine what Barstow is going to look like by the end of this year? Because I know it. I know it. We're all going to really take it serious this year, right? We're not just, amen. Well, this is the year that we really become people of prayer. And when this happens, this city is going to change. You, your life, your work, your family. Imagine how your family is going to look at the end of 2018 when you've been a real person of prayer for 12 months. They're going to look different. It's going to be a lot different than the person that just took prayer part-time seriously or, or the person that just threw out a wish whenever they thought things were going bad. Your life is going to change. James 5.16, it says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And that's where I get this title, Legit Prayer. I'm talking about fervent prayer. Because, again, so many times we pray, but it is not fervent prayer, is it? Yeah? No, it is? Okay. At least in my life, whenever I've, I've just, you know, thrown it out there and, okay, Lord, just, uh, you know, bless me, bless me and my four no more. Just, just do something good today. Amen. Amen. That wasn't fervent prayer. Lord, help my ball team win today. I, I, got, I, I really need them to win. That's not fervent prayer. And you can't do that anyway, but besides the point. You know, I, was, and I played high school basketball, and I was on a, our, we were a Christian school. And even then, my teammates would pray, Lord, if it be thy will, give us a win today. And, I, and I'm like, that's stupid. What if they played twice as hard as we do? And God's just going to give us a win because it was his will? No, that, that's, that, you sound like a moron right now. And I don't mean to... But you can't just pray for a win and then go out there and do a half-hearted effort and expect to win because it was God's will. Anyway, that's a side note. If you're, if you're praying like for your team, just, you gotta realize that the, the team that plays the hardest deserves to win. So, but in our lives, we've gotta to get to a place of being fervent prayers. Well, well, what, what does fervent mean? Fervent means passionate intensity. Passionate intensity is what fervent means. Now, I'm not talking about volume here. That doesn't mean you've got to yell and scream and kick things and spit and, you know, do somersaults. I mean, that's cool if you want to do that. That's kind of fun. But at the same time, you don't have to. It's not about volume, but it is about fervency, taking it serious when you pray. It says the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And the New Living Translation says has wonderful power and produces wonderful results. And so, you know how to be passionate about something? Yeah. I've seen a bunch of you, at, I've seen some of you at things that you're passionate about. I've seen some of you at restaurants where you were passionate. Okay? I live with you people, okay? We're family. You're like, you're like my brothers and sisters. I've seen some of you, we go to a restaurant and you're like, oh, it's the best ever! Oh my god! You get all excited. You post pictures on the internet about food. You take pictures with food. You're passionate about it. So don't tell me, well, I don't know how to be passionate. Yeah, you do. When there's a taco in front of you, you get real passionate. I've seen you. I've seen some of you at, at, at sports games. You go nuts. You scream and yell and jump up. And yeah, I mean, you get so excited and, and, and you jump up. And then we'll be at church and we'll have a great sermon. And you're like. And it comes time for worship. If you do get up, you sit there and go. But yet you go home and the football game's on. Woo! 
What's the deal with that, man? Hey, I love football and basketball as much as the next guy, but Jesus makes me more excited than football. He makes me more excited than a good taco. He makes me more excited than anything I've ever ate. In fact, Jesus said in the book of John, I am the bread of life. And so if you're hungry, come to me. So if food's what excites you, man, come get the bread of life. It's the be- Take pictures of yourself with it. Put, I mean, put, yeah, yeah. All right. I like what Dr. Barclay says. Because <laughs> you got to realize, we need some Christians that have some fervency, that have some passion, and they're not embarrassed about being Christians. And so Dr. Barclay was just saying this the other day. Whenever he's out in public and somebody just starts cussing up a storm in front of him, He's like, I just start praying out loud right there on the spot. I just start praying. Well, what if that offends people? Well, they don't care about offending my children when they're throwing F-bombs out there. Who loves that? Yeah, you got your kids at the store and some nasty mouth is right in front of your kids. That's the perfect time to take it to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we praise you right now. You are good. Your mercy endureth forever. I just want to thank you that I'm saved and that I'm going to heaven. I don't know about everybody here, but I thank you, Lord, that I'm going to heaven right now. Oh, you're good. And if that offends them, we'll say, guess what? It was offensive when you cursed in front of my children. Amen. But most of the time, we don't do stuff like that. We just sit there and take it. But I'm not saying about being mean. I'm saying about they're going to talk about their God. Talk about your God. They're talking about their father, the devil, because Jesus said they're a brood of vipers. Their father's the devil. I mean, that sounds mean, but Jesus said it. And so if they're going to talk about who they worship, we can talk about who we worship too. I remember one time we were at a baseball game, and this lady had a foul mouth. Foul. She, she, I mean, she was saying all these nasty things, and my dad, I could see him sitting there taking I'm a kid, so I'm like, oh, no, he's going to do something super embarrassing right now. So she goes out there, and she says it one more time, and then she goes, Jesus Christ, that was a ball. And, I, and that was it. Dad was up. You know what he does? Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how. And, he, and then he goes in. And first of all, this is scary because my dad is the worst singer in the world. But at the same time, when you're full of the devil, you don't want to hear about Jesus, I guess. And so then he goes into, oh, the blood of Jesus. And now my dad does this. He, he has like a windmill thing. <laughs> what edit this because I don't want dad to hear this. So anyway, so dad does this thing where he and so he's doing all this. And all of a sudden, the lady just like shuts up and sits down in her seat. And you can see her sinking lower and lower. Didn't say a thing the whole rest of the game. Kept her trap shut. But you, you use the name of Jesus when the devil's around and he doesn't like it. And so what I'm saying is you need to get some fervency about God. If you can yell and scream at a baseball game, if, if people that are nasty and rude can yell and say mean things, you can talk about the goodness of God anywhere you want to do it. Anywhere, anytime, you can talk about Jesus. Amen? And so when we get bold, when we're talking about legit prayer, we're talking about fervent prayer. And so I, I got a, a story here. There's this church in Nigeria. Uh, his, the, the pastor's name is Bishop David Oyedepo. This church, they bought a soccer stadium that seats 54,000. They fill it up five times every Sunday. So they're running over 200,000 each weekend. It's, it's one of the biggest churches in the world. So Kenneth Copeland 
preaches there. And, uh, and the, the bishop, he's an incredible man of God. But, uh, but one, of the, one of the associate pastors, because you can imagine a church of a few hundred thousand, you've got to have a lot of help. So one of the associate pastors, as a young man, he got shot in the elbow by some of the rebel rousers out, you know, he was a good kid, but he got caught in crossfire, gets shot in the elbow, and they put an artificial elbow into his arm, a metal piece, and and here he is in his 30s now, and he has this elbow, it functions, but he's had pain every day of his life with that in there. Every day. It works, but it's super painful. And so, 2015, he, you know, he hears Brother Copeland preach, and he gets a revelation. You mean I could I could go to the Father in the name of Jesus and God could do something about this? I don't have to live with it. And so many times we're like, well, it's just it's my cross to bear. I just I got to live with this for the rest of my life. If you want to, go ahead. But I wouldn't want to. And so he prays, Father, in Jesus' name, your word, and he prays a prayer just like we're talking about here. And he goes to bed one night and wakes up the next morning and laying next to him is the artificial elbow that used to be in here. And he's like, what's going on? And he starts moving his elbow. It's totally better. The pain is all gone. And i got to show that picture. Here's a picture, literally, of the piece that was in his arm. The Lord himself replaced his elbow in the middle of the night. And, he, and to prove it even further... That thing right there, and even if you look real close, there's a serial number engraved on it. He went to the hospital. They took an x-ray. They're like, no, there's no metal in your arm. It's a total normal elbow. They lined up the serial number in their records with the serial number on that piece. And it's the same piece, the exact same piece. The Lord himself did an operation. And, you know, we, we call the Lord the great physician. So I'm telling you what, who would like to see prayers like that happen? Prayer is not boring. Prayer is not something that you should be forced. Prayer is a joy. And when you see stuff like that happening, listen, it just makes you want to spend even more time with God. And so I'm talking about the power of prayer. I'll, I'll start winding down here, but I want to share a little bit of, of some of some of my story. Most of you know all this, but uh, when I was three, I was diagnosed with leukemia and I became crippled and couldn't walk anymore. And so I'm in a children's hospital and the Lord healed me. But the thing that I want to get to is this. Um, I, I was in a lot of pain. I was three and a half, almost four. And so, of course, I've got tubes and lines running in me. I'm getting spinal taps and I've still got these scars on my back from when I was that age. But it was super painful. And so my dad's praying and he says, and his best friend, Gary, comes to the hospital. And Gary comes out here to Barstow sometimes and visits. But uh, he comes one night, and, uh, just a moment of weakness. You know, I'm a little kid. You know, imagine a three-year-old. I'm screaming and crying. And, the, you know, they're taking my blood and doing blood transfusions and all this crazy stuff. And Dad says, I believe that he's healed in Jesus' name. I believe that God's got the healing. But I need faith that he's not going to be in pain until that time comes. And so his friend says, you know what? I have faith right now that I can pray to the Father in Jesus' name. And he's healed. We know the healing's coming, but I believe he won't feel any more pain at all. He laid hands on my body at three and a half. And the Lord Jesus is my witness. I'm not lying. I felt no more pain for the rest of my time and for several years when it came to the medical stuff. They would draw my blood, both arms, take shots, jab things up my spine and all that. 
I didn't feel them touching me. And the nurses, you know, they, they, they had this thing, one, two, three, a big ouchie. Then I don't even know what all a spinal tap entails. I just remember hearing a loud snap and, and then my back feeling like I was dying. But, but from then on, every time that they did this, I didn't feel a thing. And so I'm in a children's hospital in Indianapolis. There's kids screaming all around me, crying. And, and I mean, just not a fun place to be. But me, the rest of the time, and for because I had to go weekly after I was healed for checkups. I had to take my blood all the time to make sure. And they would put needles in me. I just sit there, not even flinch. I didn't feel it. Literally, did not feel it. And I know that prayer works. I know it. You you can't convince me otherwise. I know that there is power in the name of Jesus. And anything Jesus can do, his name will do. I just got to use his name. And so a little bit more of the story. I'm in the hospital. I, I forget the exact amount of time because I was three and a half. Okay, I didn't have a calendar at the time. But I think it was three, three or four weeks I'm in there. And I'm in there. And, and they're, you know, they're taking blood every day. I'm, I mean, you know, I'm not feeling any of it. But then one day I wake up. The doctors, they go to take my morning blood. And... They look and they, and they, they come and, and we see all, my dad sees all these doctors talking and, and they're taking blood, taking blood, taking blood. And they're like, wait a minute, there's no leukemia in this blood. Is this the right kid? And, and take my blood, take my blood. And they're like, not only is there no leukemia, he's been going through chemo. His blood cells are 100% healthy blood. They should be dead just by virtue of chemo. What we see is brand new blood cells. That should take about six months to see brand new blood cells instantly overnight. My blood was healed. It wasn't a process. It was instantly healed. I had been crippled. I jump off of the hospital bed and I take off running down a hallway, running and dancing. And there's this little song I sang that we sang at my church as a kid. And, and, I'm, I'm, and they said I ran and I danced and I sang for a whole afternoon. Doctors were chasing me and poking me and, and I'm running. And, and, and I'm 32 now, so that's been, what, 28 years at this point. To this day, they take my blood. They don't see it. Anything has ever been there. 100% healthy blood. Total health. But it's because of Jesus. Amen? It's because of Jesus. So, I'm going to wrap it up here. But what I want to tell you is this. Legit prayer is not boring. It gets great results. It's full of joy. And it should be full of the Word of God. My goal over the next few weeks... We want to get you excited about prayer before we start going into the methods and the different types of prayer the Bible teaches. But we're going to get excited and say this with me right now. Say 2018 will be the year that I become a person of prayer. 2018 will be the year that I do not dread prayer meetings. I want to go to prayer meeting. I want to pray. I am joyful in the house of prayer. Amen. Let's shout for the Lord. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand up today. Let's stand up together. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.